0: The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day. You're listening to America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. I am Carrie Weber.
1: And I'm Ashley McKinless, sitting in for Father Matt Malone.
0: And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of those team members is here today, Jim Keene, one of our senior editors and uh, head of our literary section, book reviews, etc. Welcome to the
2: show. Thank you, Ashley.
0: Glad to have you. We'll
1: be joined by another colleague, uh, Michael O'Loughlin, who's our national correspondent. And he had the cover story in our recent sports special issue um, in which he profiles the Vatican running team. Um, So that article is, meet the Vatican team running for the greater glory of God and maybe the
0: Olympics. Michael O'Loughlin, welcome to the show.
3: Hello, good to be with you.
0: (laughs) We're glad to have you. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, how you learned about this running team.
3: Sure. So, uh, earlier this year, back in January, uh, the Vatican had a press conference. Um, They were excited to announce that they were forming a new athletic team um, called Athletica Vaticana uh, with uh, a few dozen runners, basically, uh, people who worked or lived in the Vatican who had been uh, running on their own for a number of years, Uh, but they wanted to form an official association so that they could take part in different track and field events around Italy. Uh, I learned when I was over there that, uh, like a lot of things in Europe, uh, sports is very regulated, and in order to take part in different events, like just things we have here, like uh, 10Ks or half marathons, marathons, things like that, you need to be part of an official team. Hmm. And because the Vatican is its own state uh, in some ways, it decided that it would try to form its own organization so that these athletes who are associated with the Vatican could take part in these events. So they worked with um, Italy and the official Italian sports federations who said, sure, you guys can have your own team. Uh, even though that means maybe someday, if they get good enough, they could compete in the Olympics and would actually be competing against Italy. But they worked out all the bureaucracy and they launched the team in January. And uh, when I interviewed the the guy who's in charge of the team, uh, he said that there had already been a number of races and they look forward to maybe participating in uh different, organizations, different uh, competitions for like these small states of Europe of which Vatican City is one so it's it's a small and very amateur uh, group right now even though they have some really impressive runners but like I said there is this technical chance they could qualify for the Olympics someday so they're certainly dreaming big
1: mm. um, besides maybe getting to the Olympics does does the team have any goals beyond um competing in in races do they have a you know catholic angle to this running team
3: Yeah they do it, it's something i wondered too uh because there's certainly a lot the vatican's been interested in a lot of issues of sports and faith for a long time so this isn't uh the this isn't new that part of it Yeah uh, but that Pope might John come to a surprise
0: that might come as a surprise to a lot of people though
3: yeah, it was, um, I mean, it certainly was a lot of uh, new information for me. Uh, John Paul II was, uh, you know, he was a skier, he was an athlete himself, but he was also interested in how sports is used to uh, bring people together from around the world. Um, and he invested uh, some church resources in exploring this, and uh, that's continued on up until, or up through Pope Francis's pontificate. Uh, the Pope has been a big advocate of looking at uh, the roles and bridging divides between different people. Uh, He's talked a lot about soccer uh, from Argentina. He's a soccer fan. Um, That's a global sport in a way that maybe Americans aren't used to, but it certainly does bring people from around the world together. Um, And beyond even that sort of theological uh, question of what the role of sports is in terms of the human person, uh, this this team in Rome, um, they – not only run in races, but they do charity events together. Uh, they do some volunteering, and they also, something I found interesting was they took people who are homeless um, and brought them to different athletic events around Italy so that they could enjoy, um, you know, watching these sports as well, just like anyone else who has, uh, you know, the resources to be able to spend a day uh, going to watch a track meet or going to watch a race. So the, the charitable side is um, a big part of uh, what they hope to do.
1: They've also invited uh, some some refugees to be honorary members of the team, isn't that right?
3: That's right. Uh, there are a couple um, members of the team who are uh, Muslims. Uh, they're refugees uh, that the Vatican sponsored to come into Italy. This has been a priority of Pope Francis to uh, get Catholic groups to be more welcoming to refugees, especially in Europe. And he's leading by example. The Vatican itself uh, hosted a dozen um, or more, I believe, uh, refugees to come to, uh, Italy and set them up with Catholic organizations to sponsor them, uh, and kind of provided some transitional support as they get used to their new homes. Uh, and a couple of them have joined the team as honorary members. Uh, the team itself is only open to people who live or work for the Vatican. So it's a pretty small group, but, uh, these, a uh, couple of people have been running with the team for a few months now. So they're really trying to live out the ideals of what they think sports can do, um, firsthand. Uh, They are, for example, partnering with um, organizations that promote access to sports for disabled people. Um, So some things like the Special Olympics, they're trying to get people to make sports more inclusive, um, both in terms of people who might not have the resources to compete, uh, financial resources, and also people who have um, special needs that, if addressed, they can certainly compete uh, just as well as anyone else.
0: Right. One of the team members that you write about is a Swiss guard um, who's actually, you know, pretty, pretty fast. He's one of the faster folks on the team. Uh, And he talks about uh, the ways in which it sort of helps him just deal with the stresses of of his life as a young person as well, because he's only 23. Can you talk a bit about his experience?
3: Yeah, this guy was interesting. Uh, His name is Terry Roach. He's 23, like you said. He's been Swiss guard for Uh, Almost two years now. Uh, He made a two-year commitment to serve, and he'll be wrapping up his service uh, later this year.
2: Uh,
3: I met him in Rome, uh, and we were talking um, in English. He speaks an astonishing five languages, (laughs) Um, but we spoke in English, so that's all I speak. And he told me that um, joining the Swiss Guard was something he had wanted to do for a long time, but when he did it, he realized that it was pretty stressful, um, both because you have a lot to learn when you're, uh, moving to Italy and joining the organization. But then also you're not, um, anyone who knows the Swiss guard, you know, like they wear these, um, uh, pretty elaborate, uh, uniforms, uh, yellow, red, and blue. Um, and they, you know, they're big tourist attractions cause they stand out in, um, Vatican city and they often have to stand still for, uh, like an hour at a right, time yeah. and then they can take a short break and switch. And he said it was actually a lot of work to do that, um, uh, <laughs> And you, you know, you're perfectly silent, you're not talking. But beyond just standing there, you're actually, you are providing some level of security. So it is a stressful job. And he said that uh, he had been running for years. Um, and he found that once he was in Rome working as a Swiss guard, that he found uh, being able to run after work to be a kind of a release of that stress. And he said, you know, just as a young person, uh, someone who's 23, like with the onslaught of technology and digital culture, that running was his chance to kind of get away from uh, screens, get away from stress, and really just focus on uh, being present um, and doing some exercise as well. Uh, And he actually uh, is a really fast runner. He was pretty humble about it, but he ran the Rome Marathon last year and finished in about two hours and 45 minutes. Um, Yeah, that's a decent time. It's very decent. (laughs) uh, He won the bronze medal in his division, and he finished 26th overall. Uh, So he's a really good runner. Uh, He is hoping to be able to compete in something called the Games of the Small States of Europe. This is that uh, competition I was talking about for uh, these smaller places that don't uh, have the opportunity to sort of place in the Olympics, uh, but still want to compete. So we're talking about Uh, Cyprus, Iceland, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, Malta, uh, and the Vatican is hoping to be able to compete in that. And he would be one of the uh, top runners because he's he's a really fast guy. So that, uh, when I interviewed him, it was uncertain if the Vatican would be accepted into the 2019 games, which take place um, at the end of May, beginning of June. Uh, But if they do, he'll be able to compete, and then he'll wrap up his service, um, and then he's moving to the United States to learn English. So uh, he is one of the more interesting members of the team for sure.
2: You know, Michael, one of the things that that struck me, I I was in Rome in the fall for uh, Archbishop Romero's canonization, is that the Swiss guards are standing there and everyone's taking pictures of them and trying to take pictures with them, but they also are trying to be bodyguards and they're also trying to do crowd management and so it must be incredibly stressful. And I would see why you would want to...
3: I mean, he alluded to that, that, you know, they are picturesque and you can buy postcards and you know, people want pictures with them, selfies, which they don't do. Um, but, yeah, they are providing some security. Of course, the Vatican protected by all kinds of security forces, but they are, you know, first and foremost, a security feature. So he said it is a pretty stressful job. Uh, some people, he said, will stay for their whole careers. Uh, it's a two-year commitment, but you can keep renewing it and, you know, be promoted up through the service. Uh, he's going to leave after two years because so he wants to pursue other opportunities, but it, it is more than just kind of a decoration, even though they are kind of memorable outfits.
2: Yeah, you know, the other interesting interesting thing I thought about this is when you look at it from a perspective of spirituality and scripture, like how many of our metaphors, like from St. Paul, have to do with sports, you know, running, I run the race, or boxing, or even a notion of, you know, sin being, a, you know, it's a metaphor from archery that you're, you miss the target. Uh, that there is this long connection between our Christian spirituality and sports.
3: Yeah, and uh, the, the Monsignor I spoke to, who's uh, he works for the Pontifical Council of Culture. Um, his name is escaping me right now. Uh,
0: Sanchez, um, I think. Monsignor Sanchez.
3: Yes, Monsignor Sanchez. Uh, he told me that there is this uh, kind of implicit notion that sports is important to human life, and, um, Within the Christian tradition, that there is this understanding. Uh, And then, of course, if you look at popular culture, it's immediately clear. I mean, people uh, spend a lot of time participating in sports, um, a lot of time uh, watching sports. There's a ton of money. I mean, we just heard a a baseball player in California gets a $430 million contract. I mean, these are big, big things in in human life. Um, But he said he found it interesting that there's really not a lot of theological reflection about sport mm-hmm. and uh, the Christian life. He gave a, a couple of books that he thought were interesting, uh, one by a Jesuit named Patrick Kelly called Catholic Perspectives on Sports, and another by an Anglican theologian, uh, A Brief Theology of Sport uh, by uh, Lincoln Harvey. He said he found those two things helpful, but he really wants to use his office to uh, kind of get people to start considering the role of sports in the theological world, uh, and something like uh, something like that started a couple of years ago when the Vatican hosted a conference for leaders in the sports community from around the world. They came to Rome. Uh, Pope Francis addressed them. Uh, this this office sort of asked them to consider how to make sports more inclusive, and that uh, that was focused more on you know the the world of sports. But he said that might be a launching point for theologians to consider how sports is connecting people today, um, especially as we become more disconnected and kind of more siloed by our interests. Uh,
0: Now, Mike, you talked to a lot of people at the Vatican for this article, but you also spoke with uh, some folks, just regular old runners here in the U.S., uh, and Sister Anna Rose is one of those people. And I found it really interesting the way in which she speaks about uh, running and that it's not an end in itself, but it's actually helping her to develop Christian virtue. That she That is, is how she's viewing it. And that she has some really interesting ways of combining prayer and running. Can you talk a bit about that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sister Anna Rose, uh, she's a member of the Franciscan Sisters of Penance of the Sorrowful Mother, which is a community of about 40 women uh, near uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, And she said that exercise is a part of the spiritual discipline of this community uh, for all the members. Um, Everyone tries to um, exercise in some way about three times each week. Uh, For her, that means running. Um, And she said when she first started running, she hated it and that she was only running for a couple of minutes a day, but there was something um, there that she knew was good for her. So she decided to stick with it. And eventually those two minutes became five minutes and then slowly, um, you know, she reached a mile and then a couple miles and she decided that it was a good, uh, spiritual discipline for her. And she, uh, signed up to complete a marathon. Um, and that's what she is training for now. It'd be uh, held in May. Uh, she said that she uses running to uh, practice the virtues of living a Christian life. So like you said, she's not running just to complete the marathon uh, because she wants to be an athlete, but because she uses that time to consider, uh, things like perseverance, um, which she said has sort of an analogous uh, component in the spiritual life, like when she doesn't want to be praying or doesn't want to be uh, practicing spiritual discipline, she can persevere through it and she knows how to because of running now. Um, She talked about even when she's running inside on the treadmill, there's a couple of treadmills in the community, Uh, it's set up in front of an image of Jesus washing Peter's feet, And she says she uses that time to sort of meditate on that image and consider uh, the heart of the gospel, which she said was Christ's self-emptying. So, yeah, she kind of was an interesting uh, look at how religious uh, members of religious communities use exercise and running for spirituality. And in the course of research for the story, uh, I, of course, found that she's not alone, Um, I found this interesting story. Uh, Back in 2011, a group of 52 Catholic nuns uh, ran the Beijing Marathon. Um, They split up the race, so each of them took a leg of it, so it wasn't too much work for any single uh, sister. And they uh, did this to raise money uh, for people living with HIV and AIDS uh, and kind of to raise awareness about um, that condition uh, for people in China. Uh, In Rome, there's a group of seminarians who uh, play a in a soccer tournament each year it's called the clericus cup um so this is like the different seminaries that countries have in rome have their teams and they compete against each other uh and students from the united states actually won that title last year so Americans, yeah that seems kind of amazing right there somewhere (laughs) i was amazed (laughs) Uh, so yeah so this idea of using athletics in spiritual life um catholic spiritual life certainly seems to uh be pretty global
1: Yeah. I, her, her talk about perseverance and making herself go run outside when it's cold, um, resonated with me because I'm, I'm, Running my first half marathon in April, which meant my training has perfectly aligned with Lent, and it just feels very appropriate that just as I'm trying to force myself to read the <laughs> mass readings every every morning, I'm also forcing myself to go on a run when I don't want to, and I feel better after I do both of them, even when I'm dreading it.
0: The real skill will be when you can read the readings while running. Yeah. You can combine it all, or you memorize them and then repeat them to yourself while running. <laughs> Keep working, Ashley. Yes. <laughs> wow, I was feeling really good about myself until then. <laughs> but Mike, you're you're
1: a runner too, right?
3: I am a runner. And um, so, how yeah, do you, you run are.
1: in Rome? I'm I'm trying to picture like getting in miles on those crowded, winding pebble streets, and like the cobblestone. <laughs> yeah. Like
0: they're just hazardous.
3: Yeah. When I, when I'm in Rome, I I make it a point to run because usually I'm there covering uh, different church events, which are you know, stressful in their own way. So running for me, like uh, Terry Roach, the member of the Swiss Guard, is sort of a way to release stress. Uh, and so I've actually made it a point to go down to the river. Um, so there's the Tiber River kind of cuts through Rome, and there's a, a bike path along the river. Uh, and I write in the in the article that, uh, well, it's nice to have something that's paved, not cobblestone, and no traffic around other than, like, really sometimes crazy Bicycle drivers uh, It's like Not the most Beautiful place Because Rome, Of course Is known for Like this Immense amount Of graffiti Uh And it's Tons of it Down along The uh The river Uh Bike trail And it's like Kind of strewn In garbage Uh and, you know, I was there in October running, and I, like, I came across this crime scene where there, like, turned out to be a body, so I had to turn around and go the other way. Uh, but I write about in the He's in the printing a lovely on, like,
0: picture for us. Thank you, Mike.
3: <laughs> no, 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 Here's the lovely part. So, so in the article, I write, like, Rome is designed to make you look up. Like, there's all these churches— um, You know, steeples and domes, uh, beautiful trees, and even, like, these birds, uh, these starlings that kind of come through every fall and winter with these um, amazing patterns. They all kind of stick together. Uh, So you're always looking up. So even if it's kind of, like, gross down by the river, if you're looking up, it's beautiful. And the the light in the evening, which is when I run, it really is picturesque. Uh, But uh, Monsignor Sanchez de Toca, the person who runs the office that started this team, he says that he actually runs home along these streets. Um, he'll leave work, uh, which is right down the street from St. Peter's, and then sort of like navigate these cobblestone streets in the dark um, with <laughs> Italian driver is kind of coming at him. It seems really dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah. that sounds terrifying. So I'm not. I'm not doing that yet. I'm taking the river when I'm there.
0: That's for the real hardcore folks. Well, one thing, Monsignor Sanchez said that uh, you quoted in your article that I found really fascinating was that when you asked him, uh, "So, are you interested in sports?" and it is, in fact, his job to get people sort of interested in sports. He said, "Not really." <laughs> so can you can you elaborate joking. on on uh, <laughs> on what he meant by that, and and uh, what you like, you know, is there any hope for the uh, C- Council for Culture on, and their work in sports if the person in charge does not like them?
3: <laughs> yeah, I was joking that only at the Vatican would the sports minister not be interested in sports. It's sort of emblematic of the, the dysfunction that is Rome. But uh, to, to his credit, uh, he has, you know, he was assigned his portfolio. He he undertook it with vigor even signing up for a marathon himself he completed one he's training for another one now uh but he says look even if he's not personally interested in you know spending a day watching a soccer game uh he does like to get out there and participate in athletic competitions himself and he said he understands uh what's driving this isn't like sports itself just like sister rose like not wanting to run just for the sake of running it's this notion that sports can bring people together across cultures. So he's interested in that. He's interested in bridge building, and he can certainly muster up the energy to, uh, you know, stay interested in sports long enough to understand this. So <laughs> right. I, I think,
0: yeah, th- he seems to understand. Oh, go ahead.
3: No, there, there is some hope that with the Pope's backing and this, um, this Vatican office interested in the topic that the Vatican can use its power of convening to bring together leaders in sports to look at making it more inclusive and expanding access, which is uh, one of their main goals.
0: Right, right. Yeah, he seems to understand that even if he's not like going to be throwing a Super Bowl party anytime soon, like he's not interested in watching the sports, that the that the competitions and the team aspects and the exercise and the spiritual uh, and physical vigor that go along with it all have value. So he's, he's not totally undercutting his department,
3: I guess. <laughs> No, and I tried to give him, I, you know, I said, come on, not even soccer. He said, no.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I tried to give him a way to, you know, backtrack, and he didn't. So,
2: <laughs> Well, you know, we, we had in a recent issue of America uh, an article about Marshall McLuhan. And Marshall McLuhan said once that uh, um, he thought even televised sports, you know, events like the Super Bowl, actually played kind of a semi-religious function in the sense that they were rituals that brought together people across family generations across language barriers and across economic barriers and so they did have sort of a semi-religious function
0: yeah i mean i grew up in massachusetts and if someone like you you you're baptized catholic and then you're indoctrinated as a red sox fan like in my family that's it like my mother like literally will bring red sox gear down to my son in new jersey just and like put it on him to make sure that New Jersey doesn't make him a Yankees fan. <laughs> At which point, once he, my son went out in his Red Sox, he's three, he's almost three years old. He went outside in his Red Sox cap, uh, and the guys from the electric Company were there. And he look, the guy looks down from his cherry picker while he's working on our lines, and goes boston <laughs> and i was like 90 percent sure he free. was just gonna cut the electricity <laughs> off i was like please don't heckle my three-year-old <laughs> and please fix our lines don't cut the electricity please like let this be okay <laughs> uh mike what most surprised you when you were reporting this story out was there anything that you didn't really expect we got a couple minutes left
3: yeah, honestly, I, I didn't expect uh, some members of the team to be as, as good runners as they are. Um, in addition <laughs> to, to, to the Swiss Guard, uh, you know, I'm coming through the article now so I can find her name, um, there is a woman on the team, another a, a young woman on the team who actually has won uh, a half marathon. Uh, and I'm, I'm just really impressed that this sort of amateur group of Vatican runners has you know, posted some really great times. Uh, so I, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised because these were runners before. They just didn't have their own team at the Vatican. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll be intrigued to see um, if, you know, if this Olympic goal um, actually comes tr- to fruition at some point in the future. Yeah, it would be uh, really fascinating. Especially
0: if they uh, have to run in like, I, I'm picturing the uniforms, maybe mirroring the Swiss Guard uniforms. Of some <laughs> <laughs> Probably yellow
1: and yellow and white Vatican flag. Well, I guess that wouldn't be as fun. It's not quite as fun, <laughs> Ashley. What, what
3: uniforms are now. So they have uh, yellow uh, T-shirts with uh, white papal insignia on, on the corner, so they've gone with the yellow and white. Roots. They've gone with the, uh, the, the, the subtle Scigaretti, tasteful. The, she won the Vienna Half Marathon. Uh, so, yeah, they have some impressive athletes, uh, so I, I'm i really going to pay attention to the next few years and see where they go yeah. with this. Have
1: they Have they gotten a chance to get a blessing from the Pope for their, for their team?
3: That is a good question. I will I will report that out and get back to
0: you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I'm sure he approves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, maybe he'll start uh, a soccer team next. Well, thanks so much, Mike. We really appreciate your taking the time to be with us today. For more thanks, on Mike's article, you can go to org slash series, meet the Vatican team running for the greater glory of God and maybe the Olympics. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Uh, So thanks very much for listening. For Ashley McKinless, Jim Keen, and myself, have a wonderful day.
3: 129.